For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Happy Wednesday, football fans, and welcome in to another edition of The Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I will preview Thursday night's clash between the Panthers and Steelers. I will also recap some of Week 9's games and discuss some head coaches that are on the hot seat. The Panthers are coming off a third consecutive win against Tampa Bay, where their secondary limited Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson to a total of three receptions for 48 yards. On Thursday, they'll face a Steelers passing attack that features Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, and head coach Ron Rivera knows it'll be a challenge for their defense. I'll tell you what, it's a very talented group that we're, we're going to face, and, and you know, don't forget what's happening with them running back. Uh, you know, Connor's done a, done a great job for them. Their, their tight ends are dangerous players as well, and you know, and, and of course, you got Big Ben standing back there, and he's hard to bring down. So this this will be a challenge for us, and, and I do think the matchups will be important. The Steelers interplay, riding a four-game win streak, and have found their rhythm on offense after a sluggish start. Although the Panthers rank 11th in total defense. Head coach Mike Tomlin understands the challenge of facing a unit that possesses Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. Oh, they got continuity. And when you're talking about continuity, man, you're talking about 59 and 58 at the linebacker level. Man, I spent the large majority of last night, man, studying those guys. And, you know, that's as formidable a tandem at the linebacker position in the 4-3 scheme says Erlacher and Briggs in the mid-2000s, in my opinion. I will discuss all that and more coming up in the latest episode of the Chase Podcast. The Fall is another production of the Chase Podcast, covering the latest news and analysis around the National Football League. Turn the volume up. The chase is on and the chase is live. Now, let's, let's see the 
It is Wednesday, November 7th here on the Chase Podcast. Isaac Signs. thank you so much for taking the time to join me for yet another edition of the podcast. It is Wednesday, so it is the midweek recap, as I like to call it. I'll be previewing Thursday night's game between the Steelers and Panthers in what should be a very entertaining game so it'll be nice to watch two good teams going toe to toe in prime time also discuss a couple of games that went on on sunday and then i'll discuss some head coaches that are on the hot seat as well so without further ado let's get rolling on today's episode so As I do each week, I like to talk about the most impressive victory for me from Sunday's action. And I got to give it to the Atlanta Falcons and Dan Quinn. 38-14 road victory over the Washington Redskins. The NFC East leading Redskins, I might add. I'm not sure how much weight that carries to this point. Just because that division is still up for grabs midway through the season but boy Atlanta dominated a physical Redskins defense that had just acquired haha Clinton Dix Matt Ryan has been playing sensational this season hasn't gotten a whole lot of credit because the Falcons have been really in the back burner considering the Saints and the Panthers and how good of a start they've had But anytime a team goes into an opposing stadium and converts eight of its first eight third down attempts, it speaks to how well prepared the team was to face adversity and a tough defensive unit. And credit Steve Sarkeesian, the Falcons offensive coordinator. This is a guy that's been heavily scrutinized really since he took over the position as offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan left to take the 49ers head coaching job and in came Sarkeesian looking to fill some big shoes in Atlanta considering the talent that they have. Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, now Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu, now of course Devontae Freeman's on IR, but Tevin Coleman, Ito Smith, I mean the list goes on and on. This is a team that has the capability to hang 40 to 50 points each week and I think Sarkeesian has found the right system and play calling rotation because it is showing during this Falcons three game win streak. They started one and four, took some big hits to their defense. Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, and then Ricardo Allen to the torn Achilles. But they have showed some resiliency up to this point in the season. They understand that this division. The NFC South is easily one of the most competitive in the NFL this league. But at 4-4, they're keeping their playoff chances alive. Anything can happen in the NFL. Still plenty of football left to be played. But Matt Ryan, 26 of 38, 350 yards and 4 touchdowns. And then you got Coleman going off for... 68 yards on five passes and Julio Jones going for over 100 yards and finally gets in the end zone for a touchdown. Calvin Ridley 71 yards on six catches. This was a complete performance. Atlanta is benefiting from Grady Jarrett being fully healthy. Of course, Tack McKinley coming on strong. So watch out. 
I think it's too early to count this Falcons team out. Essentially, a loss from Carolina on Thursday night would drop them to three losses on the season. Atlanta would just be within striking distance in what essentially is a wild card spot in the NFC. So what a great showing there from the Falcons on Sunday. And I think that's got to be the most impressive here in week nine. Now, most disappointing loss. I give it to the New York Jets in Todd Bowles. They had a chance to go on the road facing the Miami Dolphins team, divisional opponent, no Ryan Tannehill. It's Brock Osweiler yet again, but they fall short 13-6 in what was a defensive struggle. New York, they remained in the hunt entering Sunday's game but they come in and lose their third straight game. And that's because New York, they got both receivers, Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inunua, finally back on the field. They're getting healthier as a unit. But Sam Darnold, the rookie quarterback who has shown flashes this season, I think it's safe to say that their offense hit rock bottom on Sunday. Darnold, he threw a career-high Four interceptions, and this Jets offense, they failed to score a touchdown for the first time this season. You simply cannot expect to win a game in the NFL when you cannot put the ball in the end zone. And get this, this Jets offense did not run a single play in the red zone. Now, give credit where credit is due. This Dolphins defense, they played stout. Xavier Howard, Kiko Alonso, the Dolphins pass rushers, Cam Wake getting in two sacks. I mean, this is an active unit, so give them credit. But at the same time, this is a Jets team that had some promise entering the 2018 season. Ownership had given Todd Bowles a vote of confidence. But now the pressure is continuing to mount on him. He now has a 23-34 and record and no playoff appearances as head coach of the Jets. Now they sit at 3-6 with serious issues on offense. Darnold, the rookie, has 14 interceptions. Bowles gave no indication that he's going to make a quarterback change. He basically said, we're backing Darnold. He's going to remain our starter. But going up against the league's 27th ranked defense on Sunday, not being able to generate any offensive production, that is certainly a disappointment for a Jets team that has some good young talent on the defensive side of the ball. Jamal Adams, Leonard Williams, then they beefed up their secondary, Tremaine Johnson, Buster Screen, Morris Claiborne. But even at that, And while, yes, the Jets' defense did their job, it wasn't good enough, and they dropped another game. And it looks like at this point, in the AFC East, with the Patriots running away with it and the Dolphins staying alive, the Jets may be missing the playoffs yet again. Now I will move to coaches who are on the hot seat because there's been plenty of discussion surrounding these three head coaches and the first one that I want to discuss is Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. The Packers are 3-5-1, third in the NFC North behind the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. Now let's get this straight. 
McCarthy was on the hot seat entering the 2018 season. You know, they had a change at the top. Brian Gutenkunst taking over as GM Ted Thompson being reassigned to another role in the front office. But boy, it's looking like the rubber is meeting the road as it relates to McCarthy's job security. The Packers have one of the best quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Yet 3-5-1, it simply is not good enough. And at this point, yes, it's too early to rule the Packers out from making a playoff run because, you know, as long as number 12 is healthy and going at full health, anything is possible. But what McCarthy has done with his offensive play calling, I feel like it has really hindered what this Packers offense can do considering the talent they have to stretch the field. You look at Marquez Valdez Scantling, the rookie receiver who's coming on strong. Randall Cobb, who's been dinged with hamstring injuries, who returned on Sunday night. But there's just a reluctance to run the ball. Aaron Jones, this guy is averaging a healthy five yards per carry, and I get it. He lost the key fumble there on Sunday night that was a big momentum swing for the New England Patriots and I can understand the point of putting him in the doghouse so to speak and keeping him off the field but you gotta continue to feed that guy and as well as Jamal Williams who's been solid in his own right I mean as we speak the Packers it's not like they're amongst the worst in the league they're sixth ranked in total offense sixth in passing but both of those categories you know that if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers being on the field they would completely be in the bottom half of the league and then 19th in rushing. You know, McCarthy, 54 years old, he's accumulated a strong resume, 124-74-2 record through 13 seasons at the helm. And of course, under his direction, the Packers have made nine playoff appearances and won a Super Bowl in 2010. Now, there can be an argument made about how McCarthy really didn't have much to do with that Super Bowl title because Aaron Rodgers basically, as he's done his entire career in Green Bay, has carried this team on his back. But you still have to give McCarthy credit for getting the job done because as we see it on a week-to-week basis, if you cannot control a game the right way and make the right game-time decisions as far as game plans and formulating different adjustments at certain areas of the game that you will not be able to get to the playoffs much less win a Super Bowl so yes Aaron Rodgers had a large part to do with it but McCarthy he has that on his resume he's been a solid coach but his time in Green Bay may be coming to an end maybe a new mind coming to Green Bay Working with Rodgers is the best thing for a Packers squad that may have just hit its ceiling. And it's also worth noting that McCarthy and Rodgers haven't had the smoothest relationship over the years as time and time again they've had some friction between the two regarding the direction of the offense and play calling. And so when you consider all of these factors that are floating around It makes a whole lot of sense for the Packers to move on from McCarthy, look for another head coach, maybe an offensive mind. There's plenty out there. Josh McDaniels, to name a few. Now, of course, he re-upped with New England on a big deal, so who knows if he's 
actually going to consider a head coaching job this coming offseason. But the seat is warm for McCarthy, especially if they cannot make the playoffs. Still a lot of football left, yes. But this is a coach that may be entering the final stretch in the yellow and green. Now let's move to head coach in the AFC that I talked a little bit about on Monday. Ravens head coach John Harbaugh. The Ravens, after getting off to a hot start to begin the 2018 campaign, have since fallen off a cliff. They're now 4-5, third in the AFC North. They've lost four of their last five games following Sunday's loss. To the Pittsburgh Steelers, 23-16. Eric DaCosta, he's slated to take over as the general manager after the season. Ozzie Newsom, the long-tenured GM, is stepping down. So you know there's already going to be a change in that regard. And that leads to this question. Is Harbaugh leaving Baltimore's organization along with Newsom? DaCosta didn't hire Harbaugh. He could have another head coaching candidate on his mind that he feels can move the needle for a Ravens franchise that hasn't been in the playoffs since the 2014 season. NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reported on Sunday morning that there is quote-unquote mounting pressure within the Ravens organization amid their team slump where they're unable to win games This season was touted as a playoffs or bust year by many executives within the Baltimore organization. And since guiding the Ravens to five straight playoff berths that culminated in a Super Bowl victory, Harbaugh has just one playoff win over the past five seasons. Now, yes, injuries have played a significant role in Baltimore's struggles, especially last year when they lost to the Cincinnati Bengals in their regular season finale, but not appearing in the playoffs since 2014. And I might add that Harbaugh is 26-31 and 31 since that year. Sure, the guy has a Super Bowl title. He's regarded as one of the best leaders of men. I hear it all the time. James E. Hedibo, who played for Baltimore and was a part of that Super Bowl team, he speaks very highly of John Harbaugh and his ability to gain respect and trust from his locker room and this is one of the the more well-coached units in the NFL but just like McCarthy all good times come to an end and you have to wonder is this the case for John Harbaugh in Baltimore now here's the upcoming schedule for Baltimore coming out of their week 10 by Cincinnati's I just mentioned that's a big one Oakland At this point, you can almost chalk that up as a victory. Then they go on the road to play two formidable opponents, the Atlanta Falcons and the Kansas City Chiefs. So looking at this, they could easily lose three of these four games. Of course, they play the Bengals at home, so that's going to help them a little bit. But the Bengals team, these guys are good this year. Say what you want about Marvin Lewis. His playoff record hasn't won, but... They've hit their stride a little bit on offense with Bill Lazor, Andy Dalton's having himself a nice season. 
Joe Mixon. This is a team that already pummeled Baltimore in primetime earlier this season. So big critical stretch coming up for Harbaugh and his job security. But boy, would it be interesting to see a coach like Harbaugh hit the market considering how highly he is respected throughout the entire league. Now, the final head coach that I want to talk about that's on the hot seat, of course, there's plenty others. I mentioned Todd Bowles and Dirk Cutter of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but this one is fresh on all of our minds because Monday night, the Dallas Cowboys laid an egg on national TV and it has prompted the national media to ask this question. Is it time for Jerry Jones to fire Jason Garrett? And the consistent response is no from Jones. The Cowboys are now 3-5 and five following their loss to the Titans on Monday. They're third in the NFC East. Now they're just fortunate that this NFC East division is still open. The Redskins currently lead it with a 5-3 record. And even at 3-5, the Cowboys are just two games back and still have to play the Redskins on Thanksgiving at home and play the Eagles twice. So there's still a chance for the Dallas Cowboys to somehow win this division despite this awful stretch of football that we've seen from this Dallas team. Now let me tell you this, people. Somehow, Jason Garrett is the second longest tenured coach in Dallas franchise history behind Tom Landry. He's been the coach since 2010 despite winning just one playoff game in that stretch. Now you may ask, how does he still have a job? That's a question that many of us are still trying to figure out. But one thing is for sure, Garrett, his time may be running out. And as much as Jones has backed Garrett and called him his quote-unquote Tom Landry and spoken about how he's been able to win over the locker room with his leadership, I feel like Monday night was, was the tipping point. When you come out of a bye week facing a Titans team that is mediocre, you know, I'm not going to trash Tennessee. I think they got a lot of good players on both sides of the ball. They're a young squad. They're under a first-year head coach themselves, Mike Vrabel. They, too, were 3-4 and four entering play on a three-game losing streak, had not been able to muster any offensive production. Mariota had been dealing with injuries. The Cowboys acquired Amari Cooper, a big jolt of excitement. There's a new change at the offensive line position. Mark Colombo takes over. They fire Paul Alexander. There's positive energy. This is a home game. The Cowboys were 3-0, playing at AT&T Stadium this season. And they come out, they have a chance at the beginning of the game to go up three possessions on the Tennessee Titans. And what do they do? They blow the opportunity. They let the Titans stay in the game and end up getting routed. I mean, I know the scoreline was 28-14, to 14, but this game was well out of Dallas's reach in the third and early portion of the fourth quarter. This Dallas offense is abysmal. And it was just a clown show. I mean, and that's to be nice. Dallas was held below 20 points for the fifth time this season. 
And halfway through the year, the Cowboys, they're 27th in total offense, 26th in scoring. And after the game, of course, the reporters, the first question they asked Jerry Jones was, what are your thoughts on this loss? And is Jason Garrett under fire? And here's what Jerry Jones had to say. And I quote, when you've played eight games and only won three, that's a cause for concern. He did add that he does not plan to make an in-season head coaching change with Jason Garrett. So there you have it for all those Cowboys fans who were hoping and saying maybe this horrible performance will get Garrett fired. Well, that does not appear to be the case. Jerry Jones stood up and said he is not going to make a change at this time. They have severe issues on offense. Scott Linehan, this guy has been criticized by many because his offense just seems to be so predictable. And that was on display. You, you have a new weapon in Cooper. You have one of the best running backs in the league in Ezekiel Elliott. And there's no explanation for him having zero yards from scrimmage in the fourth quarter. There's just a lot that is, is not adding up in Dallas. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball who, yes, this unit has been very solid this season, but they allowed touchdown drives of 80 and 69 yards in the first half and saw Marcus Mariota do to them what the Cowboys want Prescott to do, which is get the ground game going and then hurt defenses in the play-action game. The Titans converted 11 of 14 third-down tries, the highest success rate in the NFL this season, Mariota was methodical, 21 of 29, 240 yards, two touchdowns. That's just not going to cut it. I don't understand how Garrett continues to cling on to this head coaching job after so many of these repetitive outings of this Dallas team that has a lot of upside with these young players but they just cannot seem to get them playing cohesively as a unit and next up things do not get easier going to Philadelphia playing another primetime game Sunday night at Lincoln Financial Field Carson Wentz looks like he's back on track the Eagles defense getting some reinforcements. Tim Jernigan looks like he's going to return to beef up an already stout Eagles defensive front that has had the Cowboys number the last several times they've met. And if you're the Eagles, all you got to do is just watch what Tennessee did and Dean Pease dial up the blitz, take away the run game, and make Dak Prescott beat you to the air with a limited game plan. And if that proves to be the case on Sunday night, things will continue to trend downward for the Dallas Cowboys. And looking at what they have up ahead, yes, they have Philadelphia, but they still got to go play a surging Atlanta Falcons team that are on a three-game win streak. And then they got to host the New Orleans Saints after Thanksgiving. And you know the Saints, there's a strong case to be made that they're the best team in the NFL right now with Drew Brees playing the way he is. Look, the bottom line is Garrett, he's accumulated a 70-58 and 58 record through nine seasons as the Cowboys head coach, but just two playoff appearances coming in 2014 when they went 12-4 and four, and 2016 when they went 13-3. and three. He 
has a one and two playoff record, and you take out those two seasons, and he's below 500. Make no mistake about that. Garrett has been given teams with so much talent, and I just feel like there has to be a change in Dallas, whether it's made in season or in the offseason. This mediocrity of the Dallas Cowboys under Garrett needs to be put to a stop. And that starts with Jerry Jones finally manning up and getting rid of Garrett and bringing in an offensive-minded head coach that can help and work with Dak Prescott because certainly Linehan's play calling does not mesh well with Dak Prescott's skill set. And that's something that we are seeing time and time again with no changes or alterations to their game plan. So Dallas, I personally feel like Garrett needs to go. Now will he? That's something that only time will tell. Now I'll move to the Thursday night football preview as I talked about at the opening of my show today. I'm looking forward to this one. The 6-2 Carolina Panthers take the road to face the 5-2-1 Pittsburgh Steelers. It's going to be refreshing to see a good matchup after watching San Francisco and Oakland last Thursday night. Now don't get me wrong, watching Nick Mullins, the undrafted rookie out of Southern Miss, light it up, that was something cool to watch. But I mean, come on. We like to see some good competitive football. Two teams that are in the playoff hunt. Two teams that are playing very well right now. Pittsburgh's on that four-game win streak. They started with a romping over the Falcons, 41-17. Knocked off the Bengals on the road, 28-21. Beat Cleveland, 33-18. And then, of course, knocked off the Ravens, 23-16 on Sunday. And as for Carolina and Ron Rivera's team, they're on a three-game win streak in which this high-powered offense has come to life under Norv Turner. They had that big come-from-behind victory over the Eagles, 21-17. Then they completely throttled the Ravens, 36-21, and then knocked off a division foe, the Buccaneers, 42-28 in week number nine. Now, what makes this matchup so interesting and intriguing is both of these teams have strong defenses and quarterbacks that are playing up to an elite level this season. The Steelers happen to have the league's best receiver duo in Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, which helps them dominate opposing defenses and put up big points to help their secondary that has been subject to criticism, but they have tightened the screws a little bit this season. Roethlisberger has completed 64.5% of his passes for 2,560 yards, 16 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. And James Conner, how about the season he's having? 706 rushing yards on 151 attempts. He's a workhorse. He's saying, Le'Veon Bell, step aside. I can get the job done for a much lower rate. And he has been the bell cow. Offensively, the Steelers, they're putting up nearly 29 points a game, 415 yards. The black and gold, they boast the the second ranked passing attack in the league. And they use a lot of short passes and screens to supplement their run game 
which is just 22nd in the NFL, which is a stat we're not used to seeing with him. But make no mistake, Connor is still moving the ball effectively in inside zone run plays as well as getting the ball out in space. Now for the Panthers, I think they're going to challenge the Steelers' defense. I mean, we've talked a lot about how this Pittsburgh defensive front seven has grown up and their ability to stuff the run, but they're going to have a completely new challenge coming to town on Thursday. The Panthers, they have the second best rushing attack in the league, 13th in total offense, but Christian McCaffrey, he talked the talk over the offseason saying, hey, I can be a bell cow running back for this team. I can run inside the tackles. I can get the job done. I'm more than just a utility back. And he's proven just that. 502 yards on the ground. Second in receiving with 378 yards. Then, of course, Cam Newton, who's playing up to an MVP-like level. He's completed 67.3% of his passes for 1,893 yards, 15 touchdowns to just four interceptions. This is the Carolina offense under Norv Turner that they're putting up 28 points themselves. Newton has been efficient with his arm. Hasn't been completely overwhelming, but the versatile weapons that he has around him, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, Devin Funches, and then Greg Olson returning to full health. It has certainly benefited his playing style, and it's showing on the stat sheet and on their record as this Panthers team continues to roll. Defensively, Carolina, they're allowing 22 points per game, 250 through the air, 94 on the ground. Now keep in mind, the Panthers have yet to see a high-flying offense this season. So the Steelers will test them in that regard. So a lot of questions that will be answered on a short week. Now, here's a couple of matchups that I'm going to be keeping my eyes on and that I think can really dictate the outcome of the game. The first one being Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster against Dante Jackson, the talented rookie corner, and James Bradbury. Now, as I talked about, the Carolina secondary, they limited Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson of the Buccaneers to a total of three receptions for 48 yards. Now, that is a difficult task. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is back under center. The Buccaneers are the number one ranked offense. They can score in bunches. And Evans has had a very productive season coming off another monster performance in week number eight. But Carolina, they did something right. They flipped on the tape. They game planned for him. They made sure that he was double teamed in many different offensive looks that they saw from Tampa Bay and Deshaun Jackson. We know the home run hitter that he was. But to keep both of these guys under 50 yards together, that was a strong statement that was put out by a Carolina secondary that has two corners that continue to progress and evolve into viable defenders. Plus, you got Eric Reed who picked off Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that signing is looking very nice considering the high football IQ and physicality Eric Reed brings to that defense. But it doesn't get any easier 
for Carolina, Antonio Brown and Smith Schuster. They have very similar numbers in terms of receptions and yards, but of course, Antonio Brown has nine touchdowns. Smith Schuster has two, but Schuster, he's got 672 yards on the season and two more receptions. Then his counterpart, 53 receptions. Brown has 51, but this is going to be the primary matchup because it just seems like the last two or three weeks, Ben Roethlisberger has found both of these wideouts, whether a defense double covers them or not. He's just in that rhythm. He's seen the field very well. And then, of course, having James Conner there that defenses have to account for in the past game. It's really suckered in these linebackers. And anytime you have Antonio Brown or Smith-Schuster in one-on-one coverage, you know Roethlisberger is going to throw it up and trust his receivers to come down with these passes. But Dante Jackson, who's a speedster, he may have some looks against Antonio Brown on Thursday. And that is going to be a fun matchup because Antonio Brown, a lot of his success comes from the quick separation he gets from the line of scrimmage and then he'll just burn it down the sideline and catch a big touchdown pass without somebody blinking an eye on the defense. But with Dante Jackson, the way he's been able to settle in, run down the field, stay with opposing wideouts, as well as playing with some of that edginess and chippiness. And that's something that you don't always see from a rookie corner and that's something that makes Dante Jackson such a special and unique corner. James Bradbury is the longer corner at six feet, so he may see some Juju Smith-Schuster playing some jam coverage at the line of scrimmage. But these four guys will be headlined on Thursday night. Now, how about this matchup in the trenches? The Steelers' interior offensive line against K1 Short and Don Terry Poe. The Panthers are the 8th ranked rush defense in the NFL entering play on Thursday. Ramon Foster, Marquise Pouncey, and David DeCastro. It's hard to find an interior trio that's as talented and gifted as those three players. And they're going to have a tough challenge against Short and Poe who specialize in plugging the middle of the field and stopping the run because when you can limit Pittsburgh's rushing attack just like other teams you have a good chance at slowing them down and that's something that's gonna be big on the priority list for the Carolina Panthers on the road in Pittsburgh because they're even tougher to contend with when they're playing in front of their ruckus home fans But Don Terry Poe, this guy is explosive, he's athletic, and one thing that he's been able to do this season is fire up the A and B gaps and blow up run plays before they can even develop. Same with Short. Now Short also brings a pass rushing ability as well, and look for him to push the pocket trying to get to Big Ben and fluster him a little bit. But this battle between the offensive line and defensive line It is going to be pivotal in the pace and the rhythm of this game and just how successful James Conner is. And a couple more for you. TJ Watt against right tackle Taylor Moten of the Carolina Panthers. I talk about it all the time, how much of a game wrecker TJ Watt is 
42 tackles, seven sacks on the season. He's on pace for 14, 15 sack season. He's already had two games where he's finished with three sacks. So this guy can explode in a hurry if he starts to win his battles at the line of scrimmage. Taylor Moten is a strong tackle, and he's more of a run blocker, and he struggled a little bit in pass protection, which makes this matchup one that Pittsburgh could use to their benefit. TJ Watt, I mean, this guy comes off the edge. He's got a quick burst. He does a nice job using his hands at the line of scrimmage and getting offensive linemen off of him. And Cam Newton, one reason why he's had so much success this season is because he's had time to throw the ball and survey the field. But if TJ Watt can continue his surge and get in the backfield, it can really spoil the Panthers' game plan on Thursday. So look for these two guys to go head-to-head and play with a sense of urgency. And lastly, the matchup between Greg Olson and Sean Davis and Morgan Burnett. Now I'm assuming the Steelers will deploy both of these safeties to carry Greg Olson over the field because Greg Olson, he's fully healthy from that foot injury and it's showing Cam Newton and him, they picked up right where they left off. Olsen is still a threat over the middle of the field and Sean Davis and Burnett need to be on high alert because yes, if Pittsburgh can take away what the Panthers want to do underneath, they cannot account for Greg Olsen and his ability to work up the seam and move the chains on a consistent basis. It will be a long night for this Pittsburgh defense. And that's why I think Davis and Burnett, who both do a nice job of playing pass coverage. Now, they've had their struggles. I actually like Burnett to match up with Olsen a little bit better because Burnett's stronger in pass coverage than Davis. Davis is more of the hammer safety that plays in the box and can be an effective run stopper. But this matchup, as well as the others, is going to be another one that, that I'm sure the Panthers and Steelers will look at and continue to find ways on how to create mismatches to ultimately help their team win. Now, when it comes to my prediction this is yet another difficult one to call because I like the direction Carolina is headed in. They are playing very well. Ron Rivera has this team playing with discipline, with a nice, strong sense of urgency. They're even keel. They're not crumbling in big situations. And then Pittsburgh. I mean, this is a team that many people thought were done. And Mike Tomlin took some heat early in the season and people were calling for his job, but they've turned things around in a big way and they're playing fundamentally sound football and that's always a positive, especially when you're working into the back half of the season. But I'm going to give it to the Steelers. I think they get the job done 27-24. to They win with a field goal from Chris Boswell to move to 6-2-1 and win a fifth straight game. I do expect this Carolina defense with Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis to get after Big Ben a little bit, to make it tough on the ground and James Conner and vice versa. Look for Cam Newton to have his success, but I think this defensive front, TJ Watt, to it, Cam Hayward, I think they're going to be able to push the pocket enough to impact Cam Newton's ability to complete passes down the field. 
Christian McCaffrey will get his touches, I'm sure. But what I really expect is I think Joe Hayden will do a nice job of shutting down one side of the field, whether that be Devin Funches or DJ Moore, whatever the case is. I like Pittsburgh at home, getting the job done. I think Roethlisberger makes enough plays with his arm to Antonio Brown and Smith-Schuster. And keep an eye on Vance McDonald. He's hot and cold from time to time. Sometimes you'll have a breakout game and sometimes he is non-existent. But this game feels like one that he can really thrive on if he can get behind these linebackers because Carolina's gonna have to respect James Conner when they're running the ball. And if they can get suckered in, it may open things up for Vance McDonald down the middle of the field. So don't be surprised to see him get in the end zone for Pittsburgh. And that could very well be the difference in them getting the victory. So there you have it. There's my game prediction. Looking forward to watching a great game. I appreciate you again taking the time to listen in to today's episode. I will be back here on Friday, the Chase Podcast, to preview Sunday's slate of games and give my predictions for each matchup. Enjoy the rest of the evening and God bless. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.